Hey guys, what's going on? Welcome back to another episode of the wonderful The Arsenio CSL Podcast. God damn it, I am back and I am back with another good one. Boy, I need to get better at doing this. Okay, I need to get better at doing this, but you guys have no idea how busy I am with all these students, man. I'm just trying to get I'm spurring people on to success and I do not got time with everything else or for anything else. So, but I'm here today and I'm so excited to be bringing this to you. Okay, happy Thursday to literally everybody out there in the world. And today is the follow-up from what I was talking about in terms of making crazy decisions. Like if a plane lands in the ocean or if you end up getting stuck in the forest or this or that. And I told you that we were going to be listening to some advice in regards to those survival tips in terms of the eight worst case scenarios that I discussed in the previous podcast. And so... Here we are. We're going to be listening to this. I'm going to break down each of them, and then we're going to go from there. So, people, with that being said, let's dive right in. Don't even think about jumping from a moving vehicle. At (laughs) 70 miles per hour, the chances of surviving are remote, and crashing into the mountainside at this speed will almost certainly send you straight through the windshield. So even though you may be scared of going over the cliff, your best chance of slowing the car down is to repeatedly run it against the crash barriers. After all, that's what they're there for. Yeah, okay, okay, hold on. But we don't even know what the crash barriers are on, you know, of course, that dangerous road out there in Peru. Okay, we don't know how strong those crash barriers are. Now, I'm not saying run directly into the mountain and you go flying through the window shield. I'm talking about just scraping the car up against the mountain. Okay, and if you are and if there's a little dirt right there on that side of the road, it's going to make it a hell of a lot easier. Now, if that guardrail gives, what are you going to do after that? You're going to go screaming into head on traffic and then you're really going to go head first into the mountain and fly through that motherfucking window shield. So, yeah, I guess advice is advice, but I'm just saying uh, if you are in the likes of China and you said, okay, I'm just going to test the guardrail. And that guardrail is literally plastic and you go flying over and straight into a gorge. You are fucked. All right. Those are going to be your last moments saying, God damn, I cannot believe I did that. I should have went up against a mountain. So here we go. Let's go into number two. Resist the temptation to run. You cannot outrun or outclimb a mountain lion and put any ideas of playing dead out of your mind. While it may work with grizzly bears to a mountain lion, you'll just look like a free lunch. Your best bet is to shout and flap your coat at the animal to make yourself look bigger and fiercer than you really are. I like it. Mountain lions are not proud. If you look like more trouble than you're worth, there's a 50-50 chance they'll back away. Uh, And that's exactly... Remember I told you guys in my previous podcast where the guy was stepping away from this big ass... Oh my God, it... It was some kind of cat, okay? It was a, a mountain lion, a cougar, something like that. And I told you that the, the 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 cat, whatever it was, let's just call it a fucking lion, was literally running at it, flapping its paws in a very openly way and would do it in just like two giant steps. And he would raise his voice, walk backwards and keep looking at it, maintaining eye contact. Perfect way. He ended up surviving and the cat went away after that. The craziest stuff in the world so oh man i'm loving this advice except the first one the first one was really dumb but anyways let's go into the next one when landing a light aircraft 
make sure that the nose of the plane is six inches below the horizon. As you approach the runway, the plane should be flying at an altitude of about 100 feet. If you're higher, you'll overshoot the runway completely. The optimum speed on landing is about 60 miles per hour. Go faster, and you may take off again. Go slower, and you'll drop like a stone. Upon landing, it's a good idea to brake as soon as you've gained control of the steering. By reducing your ground speed by 50%, you triple your chances of survival. Holy shit, that is so scary. Think about that. And I've heard so many uh, instances where, you know, and to be honest, with you, I told you guys in the previous podcast, I was like, man, to be honest with you, we are flying at like, it feels like we were so close to the trees and it's because we were just 100 feet above. Anytime I would land in Malaysia, uh, what is it, in the south of Thailand, when you go into like Sudat Thani and other places, you know, it would end up being, you know, a very uh, crazy landing because I'm like, we are so close to the trees. But hey, the nose on the horizon, this and that, I didn't know much about that. But once the nose slams in onto the tarmac, they hit those brakes considerably. And I remember one time, oh, I forgot where it was. Uh, it was either in Malaysia or Thailand. I remember he slammed those brakes so hard and it was a quick, hard right. I don't know what happened, but let's just say I think he overshot it by I don't know how much. Uh, because sometimes when you like approach it and then you finally go over the runway and if it takes so long for the aircraft to hit the wheels on the tarmac, you end up start saying like, oh my God. And then once those back wheels hit, you're okay. Other times the back wheel hits to the plane, like veers off a little bit. You're like, oh my God. You know, there was an instance where I think uh, maybe dozens of people had died here in Thailand. Uh, one of them being an actress back in the nineties, he survived. Uh, because I guess he overshot something, uh, overshot the runway, and they landed straight into a pond. It was in Surat Thani, too. And, yeah, about 100 people survived, 100 people died. It went straight into a pond uh, because these guys ended up becoming very, very, what is it, very angry because they were trying to land, they couldn't land, they were trying to land, they couldn't land. And the next thing you know, there's some kind of, I don't know what it's called, it's a phenomenon where, People end up not having control over their body, especially pilots, pilots, of course, because they're like, oh, my God, I'm so frustrated. I'm going to land this. I'm going to land this. This is what happens. And the next thing you know, it just totally like your entire attention and everything you're supposed to do just gets wiped away. And your anger it has just control. And I forgot what the phenomenon is called, but it's it's called something. OK, just, just take my word for it. This is exactly what happened during that Thai Airways flight. So, to be honest with you, back in the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, a lot of these flights and a lot of these plane crashes were based on impaired judgment. There we go. That's the phrase I'm looking for. Also, uh, if you look at any more plane crashes like America, they're only like those twin turbos, those very uh, those, uh, Cessna, all these different aircraft. I wouldn't get in a small aircraft if my life depended on it. Big shout out to one of my best friends, Lindsay. Uh, she flies airplanes. Uh, she's been doing some huge runs in South Sudan and uh, Kenya and other places like that, too. And um, I'm so proud of her, you know, and she flies those small airplanes. And I'm like, man, Lindsay, you got a lot of guts to be doing that. Uh, but me, uh-uh, I'm going big airlines and I want at least four, 
first officers, which is like impossible, but I don't give a fuck. Anyways, going into the next one. Water transfers heat away from the body 25 times faster than air. So trying to keep warm is more or less futile. Ooh. And while you're staying calm and conserving energy, the chances are you're dying. You have to get out. Turn in the direction you fell and use your elbows to lift yourself onto the edge of the ice. Reach forward as far as possible and kick your feet as if you were swimming. Once you are back on the ice, crawl to shore. Do not, in any circumstances, try to stand up. Wow, okay. Uh, I'm guessing that's in terms of if you fall through the ice, but really I have nothing to say in terms of that, so let's keep it going. The current world record for the long jump is just under nine meters, uh -huh. but most people can barely manage three or four. The chances are you can't either. To clear four and a half meters in conditions that are far from ideal, you'd need a 20 to 30 meter run-up, perfect timing, and a great deal of luck. Wow. Frankly, your chances are slim. The truck is a much better idea, and it is quite possible to fall from the sixth floor and live. But don't jump out from the building unless there are balconies in the way. You'll be carried forward and miss the truck completely. Wow. Drop vertically and take care to land on your back to avoid breaking it. Oh, my God. Okay, well, let's hope that that never happens. Okay, so let's keep it going. The taxi could take anything from a few minutes to just a few seconds to sink. But there's not much point trying to force the door open because mm. the water pressure will make this almost impossible. Uh, if the... You know what? I'm going to stop it right there. You look at all the bit movies where... Obviously, people, uh, you know, a car goes in and they're trying to open the door, but they can't. You can't. OK, just don't even try that. The car does sink. There'll be little or no air left anyway. So forget about trapping air inside. By far, the most sensible thing to do is to open the window and actually let more water in. Mm -hmm. Even if you can't escape through the window, once the water pressure inside and outside the car are equalized, there's a fair chance you'll be able to open the door and save yourself. Wow. And maybe the driver, too. Oh, okay. Well, didn't know that. Okay, sir, my tips. I guess everyone's taking notes like, boy, I need to take me some notes because things be going down out here. Anyways, I wanted to hurry up and cover and go back to the flight thing. Um, the majority of American airlines, like, you know, like, like big airlines, they're pretty much safe. Now, obviously, we heard of a plane crash just recently in the Philippines and stuff like that. They landed on a volcano. I don't know how the hell that could happen. Uh, and a couple of other things that had happened throughout the course of, you know, uh, a, a lot of airplanes crashing in general. I think Indonesia is much better. They still have one of the worst crash safeties in the world. But Middle Eastern countries, China and Russia. I don't know what it is, but they have the worst airlines in the world. Okay, now I'm not saying Qatar and Etihad and Emirates. Those are three fantastic airlines. I'm talking about, you know, getting on airplanes that you, the airlines you never heard of. And I get it. You got to save some money, but mm -mm. no, no, no. Uh, I want to fly re like reputable airlines. Like we're talking some of the biggest out there. Okay, and there are no and ifs or buts because I know I'm going to get from one place to another in one <laughs> in one piece. Right. So anyways, let's keep it going. It's very unusual for both parachutes to fail. So by struggling with the emergency chute, 
There's an outside chance you'll get it to work. But don't bet on it. You may just be wasting precious time. If you can share one of your friend's parachutes, you're in with a chance. But just grabbing onto the nearest person is not a smart move. Mm. The G-force, when the parachute opens, will throw you apart. Wow. At 14,000 feet and falling at your terminal velocity of 120 miles per hour, you've got about 75 seconds before your appointment with Mother Earth. Wow. So firmly attach yourself to the chest straps of another parachutist. You don't stand a chance unless you do. Damn. So all those movies where you see someone just grab on and all that, uh-uh. Yeah, that's fake. Wow, that's amazing. And Mother Earth. Yeah, that's a funny joke when someone's getting ready to go kaput on the ground. All right, last one. You are 30 times more likely to be struck by lightning than to be attacked by a shark. But this is little comfort in your present position. Splashing around and making a noise will simply give the shark the idea you're in distress and easy meat. Uh. It's a common mistake to think the shark's nose is the best area to target. Punch it there, and you are liable to lose a hand or arm, depending on the size of the shark. You'd do much better to strike at its eyes or gills, yes. since these are a shark's most vulnerable points. Yes. Yes. And I always realize that, you know, I've watched, shark, I've watched shark movies, you know, guys, I'm a little bit older, you know, I'm 34 and uh, Deep Blue Sea in 1999, Samuel L. Jackson, Michael Rappaport and a couple of other big time hitters uh, in that movie. Um, you know, they I, I don't know. But when it comes to like anything, any animals, man, I'm talking like you got to go for the eyes. If you go for the eyes, they can't see anything. And I know, oh my God, Arsenio, you know, when you're getting your arm ripped off, da, 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 there is no other way of going about it, okay? Well, I, I don't know, man. Listen, I ain't never going to be eaten by a shark, okay? Because I'm not one of those people. In Australia, there are always shark attacks. I think there was just one recently over the past week, dead. Uh, someone's swimming in, swimming in one of the most dangerous rivers in the world in Australia, dead. And I'm just like, you know, you, you guys made a choice. You know what I mean? Like, uh, I'm never going to go swimming. Oh, they're surfers. They love surfing. You go on out there as surfer. You got to understand the risk. You may get your ass eaten up, okay? And so um, me, you know, it's just like I was joking with my wife. Yes, now I'm legally married in Thailand. It's crazy. And, you know, I told her, I said, well, you know, as black folks, you know, I wouldn't say black, African-Americans. When it comes to animals, man, we don't take chances. When it comes to anything, we are the first ones to run and run very fast. Sometimes when other people are running, we run with them. You know, uh, this happened to me just recently and I was getting ready to take the train. I had to go to immigration for some stupid ass report that foreigners have to do here in this country. And I saw a whole bunch of people run into the other train and I said, well, I'm gonna run with them because I think uh, they're onto something. <laughs> okay, they are onto something and I'm going where they're going. The ones who are walking, uh, no. And this is in emergency situations too. We are always the first ones out of dangerous situations. You've never heard of an, Af uh, of an African-American being eaten up by a bear or eaten by a shark or this or that because we just don't put ourselves in those situations, you know? And it's just like when I saw, uh, I heard a bird outside. And I told you guys this story about two years ago. I heard a bird outside and I was working and I never heard this bird before, but it was so loud and so annoying. I'm just like, why does this bird keep, I've never heard it before. Why are you here? Like, why are you here? And the thing is, like, during the migra uh, migration periods, a lot of beautiful birds come around here. It comes from, like, November to about, let's say, probably around this time of month. 
and you see a lot of birds that you normally wouldn't see between like March and let's say October. But this was happening in the heart of July. And I heard a bird that sound like the craziest thing I've ever heard in my life. And I'm like, what's going on? So I got a broomstick and I went up into the tree and I say, hey, you get your ass out of here. And the next thing you know, I realized uh, that I saw what I thought was a sweater. Okay. And I was like, man, what the hell? Why did she put a sweater in the tree? You know? And I'm like, okay, well, you would see this like in America because, you know, I guess Americans are weird, but you know, I'm like, okay, well, somebody put their sweater there. I don't know why she would do that. Then I kept looking and said, man, that sweater has skin on it. And I'm like, God damn, I never heard of a sweater with skin. But then I kept looking and I'm like, look at the design of that sweater. And my eyes opened wide. I said, oh, no, 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 no. Black people, the first thing we do, we get the hell out of there. And I said, uh, 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 baby, uh, there's a snake in the tree. She said, really? She looked up. She said, oh, my gosh. She called security. Sure enough, it was a three-meter-long boa constrictor. And us black folks, man, we do not play. Boy, I was the first one. My, my, uh, my wife, well, girlfriend at the time, not even a girlfriend at the time, just a friend at the time. She was inside the door. These two security guys are falling off ladders trying to get to this thing. Me, I'm about 20 meters down the road. Us black folks, we stay out of danger. We stay out of danger. I said, is, you, if you got a goddamn thing on its mouth or whatever it is, and I know boa constrictors, they don't really attack humans and stuff like that, but Thailand has cobras too. And a bite from one of those, it could be bye-bye. It could be good, good night, Irene. All right? And so me, I take precautions. Sometimes I have really bad feelings when I go out into the yard. And this is why I love getting a lot of things cut, especially our trees, because I want to be able to see through everything, you know? And sometimes you're just not able to do that, especially if the tree is just too bushy. So then I say, uh, yeah. And when I have that feeling, uh, that feeling is saying that there is something in the yard that is dangerous. And I think this happened three days ago. I was in the yard. I don't know if it was the morning or evening, but I just had my hair standing up in the back of my, uh, you know, in the back of my neck. And I'm like, something, something's out here. And so I just said, now nah, I'm going back inside. You know, it hasn't happened recently. And I like to look at my surroundings, always look at the ground and got to look above and stuff like that. But listen, it's Thailand, wherever you are, even in the heart of the business district, it is hell out there. Okay. You got the big ass Tohia is what they call them. Big ass giant lizards. Okay. They don't mess with you. They're actually very scared of humans, but one bite of them will send it to you to the hospital room. All right. Uh, frogs, no problem. You got two different types of frogs. There's one red frog that comes around here and that one's a little bit more. Yeah. You just got to push him aside a little bit more and stuff like that because he could be a little dangerous, but the toads are totally fine. Just don't eat the motherfuckers out there. In the north of Thailand, they just want to eat everything and then they die. And it's like, yeah, how did you not know that a toad had some poison underneath its glands? What are you doing? But hey, you know, it's not education. It's just common sense. You got to know your surroundings. So in saying that, people, that's all I got today. Thank you so much for tuning in to another wonderful episode. And I'll see you guys in the next one. Over and out.